It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Identity Crisis, a show about news and ideas from the Shalom Hartman Institute. I'm Yehuda Kurtzer, and we're recording on Thursday, January 12th, 2023. I'm back in the States after a few weeks in Israel, and today's episode is the third and final in what became kind of a mini-series about responding to the change in the Israeli political climate. Maybe we'll even call the mini-series The Changemakers, telling the story of three powerful and motivated individuals, Tani Frank, Rana Fahum, and then today's guests, all of whom, probably with some measure of despair and frustration, nevertheless got up, dusted themselves off after the last election, and got back to work. I think ultimately that's the difference between talking about hope in difficult times on one hand and trying to do something constructive on the other. I've actually found that a lot of Israelis I know are resistant or even resentful about the language of hope maybe ironically for citizens of a state whose national anthem is literally called the hope. Israelis are worn down by decades of conflict, maybe a little cynical about the politicians and dreamers, sometimes who come from other countries, selling them a future that they're not totally sure is going to come. But even the folks most skeptical of the language of hope or optimism that many Americans like us cherish as part of our identities are still some of the most resilient and relentless changemakers you'll ever find. I cherished being in Israel during the changeover in government. I found it a lot easier to be there with Israeli and Palestinian friends than it might have been to watch with fear and anxiety from afar. My colleagues in Israel do what you do when your work is social change. They just keep trying. And it's amazing to work in a platform organization that makes space for and creates the foundation for a lot of genuinely different people with different skills and strategies to do this kind of work. Societies that insist on change but offer only one pathway to do so, I think are destined to either radicalism or failure. Maybe a little bit of both. You know, many Israelis I talk to use a fascinating little phrase to talk about the short-lived coalition government under Bennett and Lapid that held up for all of one year before recently giving way back to Netanyahu. They call it the change government, Memshalat Hashinui. It's a great phrase, and it's really loaded. All coalition governments, after all, represent a change from what came before them. What was unusual in the case of Bennett and Lapid was a real effort to move power away from Netanyahu and the Likud But I would suggest that the idea of change was really manifest on two fronts. One, the whole government seemed like kind of an experimental space made up of people who were asking questions like, well, what if we tried doing something else? I'm fascinated by that as a political strategy since I like doing it myself and try to build an organization committed to that practice and behavior in the social sector. But the second change was the biggest one, and maybe it was just a change in Bennett himself a politician who had made his name on the nationalist right but emerged over the course of the year as more of a statesman, more of, to use a complicated word, a liberal. 
A lot of that change, of course, got repudiated in the last election. But maybe it's reasonable to think that, at least on a few fronts, Israel is a kind of like a one and a quarter steps forward, one and a little less than a quarter steps back process towards change. Who knows, actually, what the next few years are going to bring. And that uncertainty implicitly elevates the importance of relentless change makers like today's social entrepreneur who are constantly burrowing and mining in the society for windows of opportunity to try to get Israel a little closer to being better. Not perfect, just better. Tehila Friedman is an activist, a writer, a thinker, and an on and off politician. She had a short stint in the Knesset two governments ago, but it was a really memorable one. Her inaugural speech as a member of Knesset went viral with millions of views. In it, Tehila argued for the formation of, quote, an alliance of moderates towards a, quote, shared center. But she refused to allow for that center to be caricatured as gentle or compromising. Instead, she argued, I'm quoting this whole paragraph, the center I'm talking about is a principled center, a zealots center that's not willing to compromise about its centeredness, about its responsibility for all the residents of our country, about the role that it plays for all those who really want to live together. It puts a limit on self-righteousness, a limit on selfishness, a center that's willing to sacrifice in the name of moderation and democracy, of a Judaism that makes place for others, a center that with its very being protects the rules that allow us to manage our differences without breaking us into pieces. I have a lot of questions about that. We'll come to those. But more recently, Tehila launched a Hebrew language podcast hosted and produced by my colleagues at Hartman in Jerusalem called Bimidinata Yehudim, In the State of the Jews. Not the Jewish state, mind you, and I think probably the pun is intended. In this scripted narrative podcast, Tehila narrates the ongoing struggles and challenges around building a pluralistic and equitable Jewish state that could better navigate its commitments to liberal democracy addressing issues like the growing divides among the Jewish people, Shabbat in the public square, modesty laws, and more. It's an urgent public conversation, and Tila invites in both religious leaders and politicians to toggle between the different discourses in which this conversation has to take place. Its tagline reads, quote, on Judaism, state, and the revolution that has yet to happen. When I went on Tehillah's podcast, I struggled through it in Hebrew. So now as revenge, I've asked her to come on this <laughs> podcast and talk in English. Tehillah, thank you for being here. And and let me start by asking you, what is that revolution? You say it's a mahapecha, a revolution that has not happened. What is the revolution that you actually want to see happen about Jewishness in the state of Israel? I thought you were going to ask, what is a revenge? Because I also <laughs> thought of it as a revenge. <laughs> um, what's a revolution? Look. The Judaism we know, okay, is the Judaism of Chazal, of the rabbis, was created as a culture of minority and never had sovereignty, never had to take care of public sphere or to think how you design relationship between groups that doesn't agree necessarily because it always, you know, if you don't agree, so build your own bit Knesset. It's not, um, I mean, there were communities. But sovereignty is a total different thing than having community. Mm-hmm. And having a Jewish state is creating a whole new series of questions that the halacha and Jewish culture never had to think about, never had mm-hmm. to confront. And I feel that even now, after 75 years of sovereignty, we, we never did it. We never ask ourselves 
Is that the same thing, like halachically thinking, Jewishly thinking? Is that the same thing to do conversion when you are a minority and when you have a state? Is that the same thing to Shabbat? Is that the same thing? I feel that we're over and over trying to do copy paste or just to tell ourselves that, yes, we are continuing the same Jewish story while we're not. Mm-hmm. And there are things we need to deal with and we didn't yet. And it's interesting yeah. why I think when you listen to Ben Gurion's speeches, Golda Meir, even Netanyahu himself will say again and again and again, Jewish state, Jewish state, but would almost never talk about what it means. Like, what's the content of Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. And I think in Ben-Gurion times, it was because, you know, there were other things more urgent. You need Mm -hmm. to build hospitals and school and army and Mm -hmm. to absorb immigrants. And you need to build the state. And there was no time to... And also, it was always clear that this is such a challenge to tackle those questions, that it was, okay, we'll do it later, you know, when everything will be settled later. And I feel that now later had come. And what we see now in the new government, that there's a huge effort in making Jewish state into halachic state, which Mm -hmm. is pretty frightening. But maybe first time they are really dealing with what it means to be Jewish state, not yeah. only national identity, but content-wise. It, you know, what's striking about the phrase, the revolution, is that you might argue that Zionism actually has had two successful revolutions, opposite revolutions. There's the secular revolution of Zionism. David Hartman writes about this in his book, Israelis in the Jewish Tradition. He said, Zionism presented a total revolution in Jewish identity because it forced Jews to basically say, our future political, social, economic is entirely in our own hands. That revolution succeeded in kind of a first phase of Zionism. You know, kibbutz movement, build a society, build an army. That was a total revolution of Jewish identity. And the other revolution that seems to have succeeded and is now ascendant in Israel is what you might call the religious Zionist revolution, which has done the work interpretively of going back and saying, actually, maybe instead of the Babylonian Talmud, I want to go back to, I don't know, the books of Deuteronomy and Joshua to say that's what it means to be Jewish today. What you're talking about is somewhere in the middle. (laughs) It's a revolution that is rehabilitating some story of the Jewish condition, but not allowing it to be a fundamentalist story, right? It's It's a strange place in between the secular revolution and the Dati Lumi religious Zionist revolution, both of which I think did pretty well over the last 75 years. No? It's interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but I guess you're right. Look, even if we say that the religious Zionist community, which I belong to, is pretty similar to Ben-Gurion, is trying to go back to the biblical time, yeah, to the mm-hmm. biblical Judaism, but it's not for real. I mean, yes, army, yes, you know, land, uh, occupying the land, like in Yeshua. But what about the daily life? Not only the daily, but, uh, you know, questions as a Shabbat, as conversion, as what makes you part of the nation or not, okay? Is that similar of being a citizen? Obviously not, but the law of return is that should be according to halachic rules, is that 
should be according to something else. I, I can think of tons of questions that religious Zionism never dealt with seriously or, or mm-hmm. didn't take enough responsibility or didn't have enough courage to say something fundamental had changed. You know, having a state is not less fundamental change than not having a temple. Means what Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai did after the temple destruction was to create a new version of Judaism. I, I always think about it as a mobile application, okay? Because Judaism used to have land and temple and everything was around it. It was centered around it. And then when the temple didn't exist anymore, there was a need to create something else, something that you can take in your backpack, take with you. And Rabbani Yohanan ben Zakai, not alone, obviously, yeah, but he created it. I always think about our time as the opposite, thanks God, as the opposite move. Okay, we are moving from moving to again having a physical center. It's something different. It, yeah. It's different, and you need to have again a different version of Judaism. Now, this is not what the religious Zionism community did. Neither what Ben Gurion did. I mean, Ben Gurion, yes, the secular Zionism builds a physical state, but I, I can't say they didn't give attention. They did, but everything that has to do with culture, with education, with content, mm-hmm. Jewish not content, no. No. You know, I, I got to witness recently two different Israeli colleagues, uh, scholars, both of whom are strongly opposed to the current government, but one who identifies as religious Zionist and one who identifies as secular. And they spoke honestly about the skepticism and frustration that they have with each other. And the secular scholar, who's generous in terms of doesn't fully think this way, but you could tell that's had some of these biases. It was a little bit of like the religious Zionist community got us into this mess. <laughs> Whenever you bring religion into the business of state, you introduce all of these fundamentalist elements that actually get in the way of the project of building a viable secular nation state that is actually democratic, equal to all of its citizens. You identify as a religious Zionist Jew. I'm sure that you've heard this before. I'm sure it's frustrating to you. My religious Zionist colleague said in response, Listen, if you do protests on Saturday night, an hour after Shabbat in Tel Aviv, you're signaling that you don't even want religious Zionist Jews to be there. So what's the message that religious Zionists who are trying to advocate for a more liberal worldview, how do they broach that conversation together with the secular left that views with such skepticism that folks who are identified with religious Zionist community are part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution? First. I understand the frustration. On the other hand, look, what's happening now in Israel, happening in a little different version, but not so different elsewhere in the world. Okay. You can think about many European countries moving to more nationalist, less liberal regimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Hungary, Poland. I don't think your country was in a very, very different place not so right. long ago. And there are reasons for that. And one of the reasons is that people feel that their sense of belonging, their the roots, the sense of identity is shaking, is not secure enough. Now, I think religion can play a very positive role 
in building social cohesiveness, in building belonging, in building secure identity. I understand that it's not in its fundamental version, okay? When you think about religion as set of rules of unhumanistic, so yes, this is, I understand why it's not a very uh, tempting, but look, the Jewish, the Jewish tradition being so ancient and so rich has different components. We should be very proud in, in bringing to the world the notion of equality. Yes, the basic equality of human life, of all people. I don't know how to say those words in English. People but, created uh, an image of God, yeah. So this is the base for humanism. This is the base for democracy. It's coming from our tradition. And so there are parts of Judaism that are extremely humanistic. There are other parts, like in every ancient culture. And it's our responsibility what we choose not only to emphasize, but what are we choosing to put in the center? I, I don't think it's yes or no. I mean, if someone thinks that Israel can be a secular state, I don't think most Israelis are secular. I mm-hmm. think most Israelis are traditional. Thanks God, I think, very attached in, in to tradition. And I don't think it has to be something anti-democratic. Mm-hmm. The opposite. I, sh- yeah. I think it can be the base for democracy and the base for social cohesiveness. I'm not trying to say it's not complicated with the non-Jewish citizens of Israel. Yeah. You spoke with Rana, also a friend of mine. Obviously, it's challenging. Her national identity, my national identity clashes over and over, but it's not impossible. And also in our citizens of Israel are not secular. I mean, there are yeah. two traditions here. So I understand what your friend is saying. I think religion can play an opposite role. So let me stay on religious Zionism for one more second, and then we can go to a vision of liberalization, of centrism, of some of what you're trying to do uh, in the podcast. And this might be a frustrating question, so just giving you advance notice. There was a humanistic strain in religious Zionist thinking and writing largely before the 1967 war. Religious Zionist party, even actually for a decade or so afterwards, was identified with figures who were seen as moderates, part of the kind of social fabric. And something significantly changed around religious Zionism as religious Zionism has become largely connected to the settlement project. I'm not coming up with this theory on my own. It seems almost kind of obvious. Part of what you're talking about in terms of a humanist, liberal, religious Zionist project, because that's what a revolution really looks like, of reinvestigating how does our tradition help us prepare for the better version of a Jewish state, means fighting against what has kind of taken over as the dominant ideology of religious Zionism. So I partly want to ask about like what that actually looks like, but I also want to nudge a little bit on does that religious Zionism then in turn also have to be more anti-occupation? <laughs> or are these kind of separate conversations, one about occupation and one about Judaism within the boundaries of Israel itself? First, I'm thinking about the theory. Is that true? Because one of the, I can think of voices such as Rav Amital, who mm-hmm. headed Meimad during the 80s, maybe the 90s. 90s, 90s. Yeah. I can think about Rav Fuhrman, both are settler, <laughs> you can say, 
both raised a very unique voice, very humanistic uh, within religious Zionism. I'm not saying that was a mainstream, I'm not, but it's not before and after 67. I'm not sure that's where I would draw the line. What we see today, some of it, yes, connected very much to relationship with Palestinian and with Arab citizens of Israel, but too easy to say it's only, you know, the territories, only occupation, what you said. What happened two years ago in Israel, what we call Shomer Chomot, it was May. Yeah, May 2021. 2021, okay. Mm -hmm. the, the clash between Israeli and Arab citizens within Israel. I think shaked many Israelis and pushed them. Many voters for Benville did it because May two years ago. And this is not settlements. This is not territories. What I'm trying to say that we have a national conflict here. Unfortunately, it's not only Judea and Samaria. It was easier if it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm saying, unfortunately, because I wish I could separate, you know, the Arab citizens of Israel and the Palestinian in, in the territories and outside of it. I can't. And it makes it a lot more complicated. So I'm not saying yes or no to your theory. I'm just saying that it's not only that. Okay. And yeah. also there's today horrible. It's not interview. It's, um, it's investigation. Um, yeah, in Aretz about Avi Maoz, and he's quoted saying things about women, about democracy, about horrible, 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 has nothing to do with Arabs. I mean, I'm not saying he's not against Arabs, but so his like flag is being anti-progress. We are anti the progressive movement, what he think of as a progressive movement. Some of what he would call progress, I would call basic liberalism, but whatever. Yeah. So it's much broader than the national conflict. I do think if you want to put one point, there is a question of hierarchy, because I think Avi Maoz believes in the supremacy of Jews over others, the supremacy of male over female, the supremacy of observant over non-observant Jews. He, he believes in hierarchy. It's not only he believes in it and I don't, we, what he thinks the Torah say and what I think the Torah say, even more than that, what I think God is saying and what he thinks God is saying is different. And, yeah. and I'm smiling, but I, for me, it's painful because what, what's happening today for me is not only political, Debate, not only political crisis. It's it's a spiritual crisis. It's a yeah. it's, it's a religious crisis. I feel like we fight over who's God. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I think that approach will be surprising in some ways to American Jews who engage and follow, even intimately, the politics around Israel. For whom, for many of us, I would say, I can't really separate between my feelings about occupation, and my feelings about religious pluralism. I think that they're wedded together. I think it's going to be hard for Israel to advance domestic liberalism so long as it doesn't make major progress around the fundamental human rights and dignity of Palestinians who are living under occupation. But you're arguing that actually there's a larger 
I'm able to be committed to these values in a larger sense, even if I can move far on one and the other feel stagnating. Look, if you are right, and those two are inseparable, it's a very bad news for people like myself, because I'm not sure the Palestinian conflict is in my hands to solve. I mean, as Israelis, you know what, maybe I can do steps, they can move forward, but I don't think it's all about us. I don't think it's all our fault or our responsibilities are two sides for it. So what if I can't solve it now? So I'm stuck with being, I mean, I have to move in two lines all the time because otherwise, what can I do? You say in your, in your Knesset speech, actually, that although you're, you're confident in your own identity, Jewish, religious, religious Zionist, nationalist, feminist, Jerusalemite, that there's a lot for you to learn from Mizrahi Jews, FSU Jews, Ethiopian Jews, from Arabs, from Haredim, individualist liberals, Druze, Bedouin, diaspora Jews, etc. What does a real coalition look like? Acknowledging that, like, everybody has to lose a little bit. So when you say, I don't know that it's in my hands to really make major steps on occupation, but I can move a little bit over here. Do you think it's going to be viable to bring a lot of people along when everybody has to give up a little bit? You know, I wonder whether part of the reason why the parties that are currently winning are winning is because they refuse to compromise <laughs> about all the things that they care about. Firstly, I must say that I changed a little bit since my this speech you quoted because yeah. back then I, I really thought that we can build a covenant of moderate people uh, from all walks of life in Israel, from all identities. Today, I think the most urgent thing is to rebuild the, cent- the Zionist center, means the people who believe in Jewish democratic state. What's happening today in Israel is that's the right side, so the winner, <laughs> believes in Jewish state with the majority decide. Okay, it's not liberal democracy, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, Human rights, it's the majority is making the decisions, while the left side of Israel, very small, but believes in, in democratic state with Jewish majority. But again, there is some declining what it means Jewish state. In the other hand, they are making democracy into something technique and the other side making Judaism mm-hmm. into something more technical. I think there's urgent need to recreate the majority that believes in Jewish democratic together and Jewish state and democratic state with Ibuwahad. And I understand that both the ultra-Orthodox and the Arabs are not part of this center. They can be the important part of Israeli society. They need to be maybe in the government, but they are not part of this center. And because mm-hmm. we lost the center, that's why we're in, in the situation we are. Because something, we lost what's supposed to hold society. To hold it together. The center is like the stable place that's supposed to hold the society together. I would think that the most important thing for Israel to do is to uh, observe Aliyah from Rahat and from Nebak. But the question becomes who's observing? Like who's mm-hmm. into what? And I can't say there is no Israeli society, but the Israeli society is so ripped out and yeah. going so much to opposite directions that there is a hole in the center. And what used to be the mainstream just disappeared, and we need to rebuild it. It's interesting. In the 90s, I remember folks telling me, even the Labor Party leaders actually telling me in the 90s when the Labor Party was strong, that 
Tachlis on a whole bunch of issues of religion and state, domestic issues, etc., that there wasn't a lot of daylight actually between labor and Likud back then, but there was significant difference around the Palestinian cause, and therefore there was no possibility of a serious national unity government which would enable the labor and Likud to basically sideline the Haredim and the extremists. Now, the opposite is true. There's not a huge amount of daylight between the center and the right with respect to the Palestinian cause. But the reason why you can't have a national unity government that has Netanyahu and Lapid and Gantz and Bennett or whoever else is mostly because of Netanyahu's legal issues. You know, is there ever going to be a point (laughs) where we actually get to a place of basically a consensus government of 70 to 80 Knesset members who just plug through a whole bunch of domestic change because that's what very clearly the majority of Israelis uh, actually want to see? You know, I think it's a to be or not to be question for Israel because uh, I think that we have to deal with domestically. Uh, the question of the Haredi participation in labor force and in taking duties of being citizens become urgent question for Israel. That's the fear of becoming third world state, yeah, of being poor place is serious, is real. And the reason we can't do it is because we can't take the Zionist forces, we can't get them to work together. Mm-hmm. And look, I was part of the Blue and White Party when we decided to get into Netanyahu's government. Despite our promises not to do it, after the corona broke and after the third elections, Gantz and Lapid break up over it. And I was with the Gantz part as I decided to give it a shot. It failed. And yet, I think that's the only way for Israel to survive. (laughs) Because the situation now when you have half of the government not serving in his army and are going to make the decisions over, you know, sending soldiers into wherever. I mean, it just can't work. Yeah. Uh, There's something immoral in that, really immoral. And there is such an unbalanced situation between who's paying taxes and who is serving and who is holding the country on its shoulders. And most of those people are not represented now in the government. So I'm really afraid. I think that the big picture of what's happening now is that Israel that I believe in is Jewish, democratic, and mamlachtit means mamlachtit is kind of um, maybe republicanism. It's like putting the interest of the country before the interest of the sector. It's like the opposite of multiculturalism as an ideology. Okay, it's it's like... And what's happening now is that the Jewish part become halachic, the democracy become, you know, majority making the rules, and instead of of mamlachtiyot, it becoming emphasizing sectorialism and, and pushing toward more and more sectorial society. Now, what's clearly going to happen is that the chilonim, the secular, the non-observant, that usually treats themselves as a majority and the hegemony and understood that the privilege of minorities that they don't have because of the majority. Now, I think they're going to come and say, no, if we are not the majority, we want a privilege of minority. Means only yesterday, Someone came out with this initiative of creating Yeshivat is there for secularists. Means less time in the army, only a year and a half, and learning Jewish secular studies. 
yeah. or philosophy, things like that. Now, it only makes sense. But think of it. If everyone are minorities, who are the majority? Yeah. Who think of itself as a responsible adult? Who say, you know, I'm a mother, you're a father. Yeah, we give the kids food before we take for ourselves. That, that's mm-hmm. what you do when you're an adult. You take care of yeah. your kids before you take care of yourself. That's being your parent. Mm-hmm. Now, when no one sees itself as responsible adult, no mm-hmm. one take care of the common good before it take care of the interest of the sector. And today yeah. in Israel, there is no one who sees a big picture and that's a sectorial one. Yeah. It reminds me of what Tal Becker has written about and speaks a lot about of what he calls that Israel needs a sovereign state of mind to start recognizing you're in charge <laughs> and you can't keep appealing to the notion of vulnerability and the disappearance of sovereignty because the more you kind of obsess about that, you stop recognizing that you're actually in charge of the society and capable of leading it. Let me ask you one last question, which is more personal. You've been on the political side. You're now a little bit more on the kind of social entrepreneurial side. Obviously, Israel needs better politics and needs better ideologies. Tell me a little bit about what the experience is like for you when you feel like you're more inside the political system and more outside the political system. I assume that's not the last effort that you'll make towards being in politics, but I'm curious to hear like what it feels like to try to do this work both inside the system and a little bit outside of it. Um. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely frustrated. I feel fear. I feel, I mean, it's hard times in Israel now. And I ask myself, would I feel any better if I was in the Knesset? Would it be worse? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I feel that voices like myself who believe in, in solidarity, in building shared society, in building covenant of moderate people, I'm not sure voices like myself has place now in, in, in the political sphere. So it's, maybe it's good I'm not there. I mean, I happen to be a believer, so I'm asking myself, you know, what's my shlichut, where like, where God want me to be and when. I look at my friends who are now Knesset member. I mean, I'm not envy. It's extremely yeah. hard now, extremely hard. So much responsibility on their shoulders and such a frustration of not because the situation now is that the coalition be re, being aggressive. It's unbelievable how aggressive they are and are not willing to any kind of dialogue with opposition. So all the opposition has to do is kind of shouting and, and it's, it's a horrible frustration. And also, even if you are not very radical, this situation, it takes you to be much more radical than you are. Also, I feel that there are two big missions now. So, Merava, Setov, I mean, stop the bad and do the good. Now, stop the bad, that's a huge mission. And I'm privileged to be able to focus and do the good in terms of creating alternative, like putting base for alternative political options in terms of what ideology of this center I dream of, what's the policy of it, who's the people, and try to to put base for that. The framework I I work in is called the 100 Initiative, and that's we're trying to build infrastructure for this center and to recreate the Zionist covenant between, you know, the people who believe in Jewish democratic state together. And so it's building an alternative. 
It's a long-term effort, but that's for me the other part of stop bad yeah. is the do good is that's what I'm trying to do. Well, thank you for everything you do, Tila. And I'll say to our listeners, please uh, check out Bibi Dinata Yudim, especially if you have some amount of Hebrew. We're going to put a link to it in our notes for this show. Um, it gives you an inside view into the best versions of conversations between Israelis about these issues. And as I hope was clear to our listeners throughout the show, how Israelis are navigating questions of moderation and liberalism and the different issues that they're dealing with are of a totally different nature than sometimes the way they show up in American Jewish context and in English. So thank you, Tila, for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening to our show. Identity Crisis is produced by David Kalman and edited by Gareth Hobbs at Silver Sound NYC. Our production manager is M. Lewis Gordon. The show is produced with assistance from Miri Miller and Shalhevet Schwartz with music provided by So Called. Transcripts of our show are now available on our website, typically about a week after an episode airs. To find them and to learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, you can visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We always are looking for ideas about future episodes. If you have a topic you want to hear about or comments on this one, you can write to us at identitycrisis at shalomhartman.org. You can rate and review Identity Crisis on iTunes to help more people find it. You can subscribe to our show everywhere. Podcasts are available. We'll see you next week, and thanks for listening.